I'm glad you're here. In fact, turn to someone near you and just say, hey, I'm glad you're here. Do it right now. There. All right, not too bad, not too bad. I am glad you're here, and I'm looking forward to what the Lord has to say as we continue our teaching series through Live No Lies, getting some great response on that. Some folks are reading through the book, and they're just talking about the fact, yeah, there's the reality out there that there are many forces that are speaking lies into our lives, and we need to be able to step back and say, who's speaking lies and what lies are they telling us? So we're going to dive into another particular area today, and I'm going to ask them to go ahead and put uh, the next slide up on the screen if they could. Came across this meme this week, and I've seen it before. Uh, but it, was, it just reminded me of where we're at today in the teaching series. It's by Freddie Mercury. He's the lead singer of uh, Queen, uh, used to be the lead singer of Queen, which is a very influential group, of course, uh, in the American pop culture. And he had this to say. He said, you can be anything you want to be. Just turn yourself into anything that you think, and you can be anything that you want to be, basically, on that. You know, the first time I, I read that, I'm like, all right, so just turn yourself into anything you think that you could ever be. Uh, that sounds really good, you know? I mean, that, that's inspiring. But being that I'm a chronic overthinker, uh, I take a step back, and I really ask myself, I'm like, but is it true? I mean, is this, can you really be anything you want to be? And, and I remember, I mean, because I, I think back to high school, you know, I, when I was early in my high school years, I wanted to be a pro football player. I was absolutely convinced, all 126 pounds of me wanted to be a pro football player. And it was only a couple of two-step inside pass patterns and a 250-pound linebacker that helped me understand the folly of my ways on that. I, I did not have the body for it, really didn't have the abilities, but we're not going to go there on that, you know. It was clear that it wasn't in my cards, you know what I mean? So I went off and did track and actually did pretty well at that. But, but I get the sentiment. I mean, it's supposed to inspire us. It's supposed to make us think, you know what? Shoot for the stars. But is it true? Or when we really take a step back and think about it, is it a lie? And right now, by the way, if you're wrestling with that, you're like, ooh, I don't know if I like that. Here's why. It's such an embedded lie into our culture that most of us have accepted it's true. In fact, that is the mantra of Disney right there. This pretty much sums up most of what Disney does. Be anything you want to be. And first glance, we're like, yeah, that sounds really good. And I'm not trying to be a Debbie Downer. I mean, I will be the first to tell you, dream big, man. Don't settle. Be everything God created you to be. But I don't know that you can be any, everything you want to be. I think that's a lie. And we're talking about the lies of our culture. We're talking about the lies that our enemy tells us. And we're talking even more as we look at it today, the lies we tell ourselves. And the author breaks them down that way. There's three big lies. He said there's lies from the enemy, which is Satan. He said that there are lies from the flesh, which we tell ourselves. We're going to talk about that today. And then next week, we're going to talk about the lies of the culture, which he calls the world, and discover what they have to say in all of that. Now, you've been around Radiant long enough. We've talked about the flesh before. In fact, we've talked about it often. But you're, for many of you, I see some new faces out there. You're new. Maybe you're just new to this Christian journey. And understand that throughout the New Testament, uh, the authors talk about the flesh on many different occasions. In fact, there's, there's two things they talk about. They talk about the flesh and then life in the spirit. And we're going to kind of compare and contrast those a little bit today. 
Other terms you'll hear, though, is they'll talk about earthly versus heavenly. Sometimes you'll hear about sensual or instinctual will be a word you'll see in the New Testament, or you're living by the senses. All of those refer to the flesh. Each of those are examples of living in the flesh. So like when we talk about living in the senses as part of being in the flesh, we've talked about this before. What does it mean to live by your senses? Well, if it looks good, feels good, sounds good, tastes good, must be good, right? And we've convinced ourselves we're just living by our natural senses. Another way the flesh plays out in our life is when we struggle with rationalization, and you say, what is that? Well, that's, that's the idea in many ways that says, if I can't see it, measure it, or quantify it, it doesn't exist. Only those things I can touch and measure and quantify exist. And that leads us down the road of the flesh. And the third one is what we call instinctual. And this is kind of an idea that flies off of many of the theories of evolution, which just says, well, you know what? Uh, we're just animals, and therefore we just need to give in to our animal desires. Each one of those are ways that the New Testament describes living in the flesh. The opposite, though, it tells us is to live in the Spirit. To live in the Spirit is to be aware that there is something more than what we can see, touch, feel, taste here. Living beyond our senses, more than what we can quantify and measure, that there is a spiritual realm. There is something out there bigger than us that we need to be aware of because it's just as real as this earthly realm in which we live in. In fact, the argument throughout the New Testament is at one time we, are, we were very much attuned to the spiritual realm, and what we lost in the garden was the ability to tune into that, to walk in pace with God, to have our hearts beat as God's heart beats, to, to listen to Him, to know His plans his will. All of those are explanations for living life in the Spirit. Now, for Christians, there's an ongoing battle then between life in the flesh and life in the Spirit. And if I were to think of someone in the New Testament who I'd be like, there's no way this person could struggle with this. You know, if, if there was someone in the New Testament other than Jesus where I'd be like, this is who I'd like to be. This is like the standard, man. If, if you got to pick someone that's like, he's on his way to becoming like Jesus, I'd pick Paul, wouldn't you? I mean, you look in the New Testament, you're like, this man, he just really seemed to be connected with Christ. He was all about living like Jesus. He went out there, was persecuted for it. He planted an untold number of churches. I mean, this, this guy seemed to really have his act together. And so if there's anybody, I'd pick him. Like, he wouldn't struggle, right, Pastor Jason? He wouldn't struggle with the flesh. And yet, what do we see Paul say in Romans chapter 7? It's so interesting. Started in verse 15. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate to do instead. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who does, who does it, but it is sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do, I do not want to do. And this I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who does it, but it is sin living in me that does it. How many of you would be brave enough to say, yep, that about sums up my life? Yeah, yeah. I, got, I know the good I should be doing. 
I don't do it. I, I, I know I should be stepping into this thing, but for whatever reason, I don't seem to step into that thing. There's this ongoing struggle and battle between living in the flesh, our old nature, our old ways, and living in the spirit, which is new life in Christ. While we're here on this side of eternity, there's a wrestling match going on the entire time. And I know what I ought to be doing, but I don't do it. How many times do we say that in our lives? I mean, I don't, but I know y'all do. And because uh, I'm perfect. Um, that should be three emails right there. Uh, no, I mean, when I read that from Paul, also, aren't you kind of like me? You're like, man, it seems like Paul, if anybody had their act together, but notice he struggles with it as well. How much more then do we? Ultimately, the word we're trying to reach in our culture, when we talk about living in the flesh, living in the spirit, the word we're ultimately aiming towards is freedom. What does it mean to live a life of freedom? Or, or even step back, what is freedom? In fact, let me ask it a, a different way. Can we live any way we want? Is that freedom? Are we allowed to live any way we wish? And if we're being honest, freedom is a very important word in our culture. We hear about it all the time, whether it's on the news or, or other things. People desire and want freedom. In fact, in many ways, that's what our country was founded on, wasn't it? It was founded on freedom and liberty, the ideas of free press, free religion, freedom to own land. We're known throughout the, the world in many ways as the country of freedom, but we're starting to see even that freedom is being tested in the marketplace of ideas out there as we've, we've seen it now come in to conversations about sexuality about identity, about crime, and about politics. Does freedom have boundaries? Are there limits to freedom? Or are we allowed to live any way we want? Are we allowed to be anything we want to be? And when this conversation comes up, because I'll have this conversation with folks, they'll say, you know what? I should have the freedom to be anything I want to be. There's always a second caveat to that. You know, they always like to throw out, as long as it doesn't hurt someone else, right? That's always what follows. That I, I should have the freedom to be anything I want to be, as long as it doesn't hurt somebody else. But if we really take a step back from that, we can see how troublesome this is, because who determines right and wrong? What's your standard? Have we agreed upon that standard? Who determined ethical and moral you see how muddy this conversation is? It's not enough to just say, yeah, I should be free to who, who, be whoever I want to be as long as I'm not hurting someone else. How do you define hurting someone else? Where's the line? And have we agreed upon that? This can get complicated really fast. So do I have the freedom then to be anything I want to be? And I think the answer is no. We're not called to live in the flesh, we're called to live in the spirit, but let's take a, another step back and let's kind of define a little bit what life in the spirit and life in the flesh look like. Let's compare and contrast them. And so I, I created a diagram. I was going to put this in your notes and have you fill it in, and I realized real quickly you would have spent your entire time writing rather than listening to me. So what I encourage you to do is once the chart's up here, if you want to take a picture with your phone to think about it and reflect on it later, I'd encourage you to do that. Uh, or you can write notes there on the blank page on the back. But I, I want to dive in to what this journey towards freedom looks like in our culture. And for most of us, the journey of freedom starts with happiness, and we say that's our pursuit. Most people are out there pursuing happiness. 
They're seeking authenticity. In other words, the, the, the point behind authenticity is I want to be real. I want to be the real me behind that. And so they're seeking authenticity. Once they determine what that is, they desire affirmation. They want you to affirm what they believe. And what we have to ask, and we'll see in a second with affirmation, is then where is your affirmation coming from on that? This ultimately then allows them to have freedom. That's what everyone wants. This will allow me to live in what I have determined is my pursuit of happiness, what authenticity is, uh, your affirmation of it, that leads towards my freedom to live it. So let's look at uh, and compare and contrast a little bit about what the flesh has to say and what the spirit has to say about each of these items. When we talk about happiness, the flesh looks at it this way. The flesh says, I want to feel good. It's a pleasure quest at that point. Remember the senses we talked about? Looks good, feels good, sounds good, tastes good, it must be good. So we have this desire, we want to feel good. However, when we live life in the spirit, it becomes, I want to be good. And there's a difference between, I want to be good and I want to feel good every single time. Because in the flesh, we say love is a feeling at that point. And notice I put the word eros up there. The Greeks had four words, many of you know this, for the one word we use, love. Eros is one of those words. It is, in fact, where we get our word erotic from, and that means living life in the senses on that. And so core to the flesh's idea of the pursuit of happiness is this idea that love is a feeling, and I'm seeking pleasure. However, in the spirit, it says love is sacrifice, and the word we use there is agape, Agape is the love of Christ. The image we're given of that is a picture of Jesus on the cross. It is a sacrificial, self-giving love that puts the wants, needs, and desires of others above our own. So you can see the difference in the flesh. I want to feel good. And for, I'm seeking pleasure because love is a feeling. However, in the spirit, I want to be good, which is contentment, because love is a sacrifice, which is agape. From there, we move to Authenticity. And this is people, they just want to be real. And so the flesh says, well, I, I'm going to step into those desires on my happiness quest and do what is best for me. I want to follow my heart. The, the thing you'll hear in the culture out there, someone will say, be true to your heart. You ever heard that one before? Just be true to your heart. But how many of you figured out your heart can lie to you? It can. Your heart can lie to you. And so this idea of be true to your heart isn't a biblical idea, but it is cultural. See, because at the core, I can be anything I want to be. Just be true to yourself. And the focus on this when we're talking about authenticity in the flesh is me, the self. When we talk about authenticity, being real, in the spirit, we say, humbly I step into God's plans and desires for my life and become who he created me to be. We give ourselves over to the relational constraints of love, which is a nice fancy way of saying boundaries and guardrails. Love requires both. There are limits. For a healthy love to, to flourish, there must be boundaries and guardrails. You say, I don't know about that. And I'll say, all right, fine. Why did God put the tree in the garden? Love requires boundaries on that. 
The spirit says, I will live within those boundaries and be who God created me to be. The flesh says, I'll step into my desires and do what's best for me and follow my heart. Two very different approaches to authenticity out there. And once we decide at that point that I'm just going to be anything I want to be and I can be true to myself, we now move towards affirmation. Now I need you to affirm that decision that I have made for myself. And so I need you to celebrate or reinforce my decisions and accept me for who I am, the who I want to be. The ultimate evil is to make me feel bad about being myself. You see how authenticity works in the culture with that? Does this sound like I'm way off base? I need you to celebrate my decision on who I want to be. The ultimate evil is to make me feel bad about it. However, in the spirit, affirmation says you rest in the confidence that you are dearly loved by God, you were created in His image, and there is nothing you could do to step out of that love. However, God does not celebrate every decision you make. Any parent in here knows that as well. There is absolutely nothing my kids can do to step out of my love for them, but I do not smile at every decision they make. You know what I mean? I don't celebrate every decision they make. And the difference of these two things is with affirmation when we're living in the flesh, my identity comes from others. It's earthly. It's worldly. I need you to affirm my decision to live any way I want. However, when we're in the spirit, my identity comes from above. It is heavenly. And we constantly ask, what are God's plans and purposes for my life over and above my pleasure and desires? What does God want for me? What is his plan for my life? That affirmation then, the hope is that it leads us towards freedom. Ultimately, that's what we want. Go ahead and put it back up there if you could on that. And, and, and in the flesh, it says, I want to be free from guilt, shame, or accountability. I want the freedom to do whatever I want, which is the definition of indulgence. However, when we live in the spirit, it says, I need freedom from my disordered ideas, my sinful nature, so that I can flourish, make better decisions, and serve others in love. I put disciplines on there because to do that we're required a disciplined life. It's not just something where God goes, bam, you got it. This journey requires a disciplined life. But can you see now the difference between how the world approaches freedom versus a biblical definition of freedom on there? One starts with pleasure, the other starts with contentment. One is focused on self, the other is focused on others. One is earthly, the other is heavenly. One is indulging, the other is living a disciplined life. Two very different journeys. And you've got to ask yourself, which one are you on? And by the way, we get trapped in these journeys, and it can be difficult to get out of them, and it gets very real. And, and I'm speaking 100% completely out of experience here. It gets very real when this is a family member. Because the tendency can be to move away from the spirit into the flesh in order to keep peace in the home. We compromise. And I want to encourage you 
because I have wrestled with this. You can challenge that loved one to live a life in the spirit, and it will be a difficult challenge, but in my family, the, the person I had to challenge, it took us a few months, but our relationship now is stronger than ever, and she is perfectly clear on where I stand. Oftentimes, we compromise to avoid argument. But how many of you have known sometimes there's a peace that only comes on the other side of a battle? You know what I mean? Sometimes you've got to fight it out. You've got to do it in love because we don't fight the way the world does. We fight with love. We fight with truth. And we get our security from above, not earth. Our journey is very different. And so it's with this that I hope that we can dive in real quickly into Galatians chapter 5, which I call the freedom chapter. It's, it's Paul talking about freedom. In fact, he opens a chapter, it's for freedom that you've been set free. So it's, it's an amazing chapter. We don't have time to go through the entire thing, but I'm hoping uh, on where we start today, now that you've seen that journey, now that you have a better understanding between the world and the flesh and heavenly and spiritual I'm hoping now that this passage makes sense to you as we go through it. We're going to open in Galatians 5, starting in verse 13. Paul says, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge in the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. Put there, or, or do not indulge, rather serve humbly in love. For the entire law, law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now right away, do you notice what the antidote to living in the flesh is in this? The antidote is to serve one another in love. To love your neighbor. In other words, when you get a posture that says, I'm putting other people's wants, needs, and desires above my own, when we have eyes of grace to see the world as God sees the world, as broken creatures in need of a Savior, and we understand that we exist to help lead them to the Lord, it takes the focus off of us and puts it on them. The antidote to living in the flesh is serving others and loving them. How are you doing with that? He'll continue in verse 16. He says, So I say, walk by the Spirit. And you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. Again, that battle going on between the two in our lives. They are in conflict with each other, so that you do not do whatever you want. I'm going to stop right there. That basically summarized to that chart we just saw. There's a battle going on, two very different journeys. But Paul answers our ultimate question we've been asking. Are we allowed to live any way we want? No, we're not. We're called to live life in the Spirit, and it challenges us to become more like Jesus Christ. That's what we are focused on. So as we continue then in verse 19, it says, The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, which is a lack of holiness, debauchery, which is drunkenness and partying, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, 
discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, means you're a divisive person, factions, and envy. He doesn't stop there. Drunkenness, orgies, and the like. You get the feeling he's like, I could keep going all day, you know, um, on that. But notice his warning. Like every now and then we come across some sentences in the Bible that should scare the daylights out of us. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But pastor, eight years ago, I, I had a moment. I did. I rose my hand and I said yes to Jesus. Now, I, I went on living my life like he never existed. But I had a moment, pastor, and they told me I'm in. Any of those check off boxes for you? Not trying to scare you, but I want us to take this journey with Christ seriously. Listen, we're all going to mess up at times. This isn't about, oh, you know what? I got drunk last night. That means I'm going to hell. It's not what he's saying. Constantly, the Bible is concerned about your trajectory. We all mess up all the time, me included. I mean, it's, our journey oftentimes looks like three steps forward, one steps back. You know what I mean? And it, it, it's, it's not a straight line. There's a up, down, up, down. But I always kind of say this. When you look at your life, you just look back at the last three to five years of your life. Is it one where you were pointed towards Christ and all you do? Or is it a trail littered by debris and destruction along the way? What is the overall flavor of your life look like? And if you say, man, it sounds a lot more like this, then I would say, please, I'm begging you, take this seriously. Be concerned. Because I want all of us to celebrate together in heaven. I want you to experience the kingdom of God. However, what does life in the Spirit look like? Well, he continues on. He says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. Crucified's a strong word there if you think about it. As you have the image of Christ crucified on the cross, he's telling you, take those bad behaviors. Take those things separating you from God. Take all those evil things that are part of your life and crucify them. Get them out of your life. Kill them. Destroy them. Which gets us then uh, to so what moments we land the plane. Truth is we're in a constant battle. We're, we're battling between this life of the flesh and the life in the spirit. I want to talk real quick about four things that I want to challenge you to, and I'm trying to keep these extremely practical so that we can wrestle with it throughout the week. What are four ways that we can move out of the flesh and really focus on life and the Spirit? And the first one is this. It starts by having a relationship with Jesus. I know that seems really simple. But if you're going to try to take on the flesh by yourself... 
Good luck. You're going to need the power of the Holy Spirit living inside of you to help encourage you. You're going to need the power of a risen Savior to help you overcome. You're going to need Jesus Christ. You you can't try to do this by yourself. In fact, you can't live life in the Spirit if you don't have the Spirit of Christ inside of you. And to have the Spirit of Christ inside of you, you need to have a relationship with Him. That is the whole point of salvation, by the way. It says in Colossians 1, Christ in us. Do you have Jesus Christ living inside of you? Or are you trying to take on this battle against the flesh by yourself? The second thing I'm going to remind you is you've got to have a spiritual or a disciplined life. This is not a passive one, this battle we're in. I, I, always, I always love uh, in football this time of year, you know, players, they, they get a touchdown, they point up to, to heaven, you know, they're saying, they're giving Jesus glory. You see them afterwards when they're in interview and they, they just say, I want to I praise my Lord and Savior for, for allowing me to do this. And absolutely, every chance we get, we want to praise God for everything we do. But can we be real with each other for just a moment? All right. Part of the reason they're playing in the NFL is because there were mornings they didn't want to get out of bed that they got up, put their shoes on, and went for a run, okay? They went to the weight room, they went to practices, they evaluated the other teams, they learned the game, and they became experts in it. And a lot of Christians out there, they're sitting there, I'm just waiting on God to fix this thing. I'm just waiting on God to solve my flesh problems. I'm just waiting on God to get that. And yes, we're in partnership with God. But a disciplined life says there are times you have to get up, put the shoes on, and go for a run. It involves you too. We're not passively sitting around waiting on God to fix our problems. You got to have a disciplined life to say, I'm stepping into what God is doing because he has empowered me to do it. And I'm choosing today to live like him. It, right? It requires discipline. Too many Christians sitting around going, I'm just waiting on God. And he's like, just put your shoes on and go for a run. Good grief, you know? It takes both. When God told Noah to build the ark, he didn't build it for him. He had to go build it. When he told Moses to go to Egypt, he didn't magically put him in Egypt. He had to put his sandals on and head that direction. Abraham had to get rid of the idols, and move. Yes, God empowers us, and you're going to need a relationship with Jesus, but you've got to decide today, I want to live a disciplined life, which includes reading your Bible, includes fasting, includes prayer, and many other things. And I'll, and I'll end with this, guys. Guys, let me give you a really good one when it concerns living in the flesh. There's the discipline of look away. What do you mean, Pastor Jason? I mean, when you walk by that magazine rack, rack and you see a, a racy picture, look away. I mean, when you see something on TV you shouldn't see, look away. You see a woman walking down the street in provocative clothing, look away. Learn the art of look away. It will get you out of a lot of problems, but it's a discipline. You have to train yourself. It's something I've had to train myself over the years because you know what? That stuff enters your life and your TV without asking your permission. It's just there. Look away. The third thing real fast that you're going to need 
if you want to live life in the Spirit. You will need a teachable spirit. What do I mean by that? You can't do this alone. And so you're going to be accountable. You're going to need other people speaking into your life. Are you teachable? To be teachable at the core requires humility. But the battle against the flesh is tough, so you're going to need people speaking into your life. Will you humble yourself to the accountability of others in order to battle the flesh and live life in the spirit? To do that, you're going to have to have a teachable spirit. And the last one is this. It requires community. We've said this a million times around here, and it's absolutely appropriate here. You can't do life alone. That's why being here on Sunday morning is important. That's why we encourage everybody to be in a small group. You can't do life alone. Again, you need a group of people to come alongside you, not only just to hold you accountable, but to encourage you. Because you know what? The battle against the flesh, you saw how real it was for Paul. How much real, more real is it for us? You're going to need a group of people to come around you to encourage you, to spur you on, to challenge you, and get you through the battle. The greatest lie of the enemy is to tell you it's okay to be alone. We've talked about this before. If you've ever seen National Geographic and you've got the cheetah or the lion sitting out in the, in the, the field ready to attack, which one does he go after? The one that gets away from the pack every time. And the Bible says we have an enemy that's prowling around looking for someone to devour. Guess who he's going to find? The one who has believed the lie, I can do it alone. Choose today to be accountable and to be in community with others. You can win this battle in the flesh. I want you to spend some time thinking through it this week. I, I, I've hit you with a lot. You can win this battle with the flesh. And I, I want you to know the flesh, it started in the garden, but here's the most important thing you know. The war was won on the cross. Jesus Christ conquered sin and he made the way for you to battle against the flesh in your life. However, I get back to that discipline piece again. You have to take the next step. He made the way and he made it possible. Now it's your turn. Have you made a decision to follow Jesus? Do you have a teachable spirit? Are you living a disciplined life? And, or have you believed the lie that it's okay to be alone? Wrestle with that this week.